This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Nutshell Politics. I'm your host, Justin Kenny. Now, with today being November the 12th and yesterday being Veterans Day, I want to issue a very special, heartfelt thank you to all the veterans out there. Thank you so much for your service. You never forget. And in fact, I actually want to do a bit of a special episode today where we talk about Veterans Day, talk about what it is, what its meaning is, some of its history, as well as how we see it celebrated today. So let's go ahead and do an episode on Veterans Day. So let's kick this off. Uh, I want to start, though, by first talking about a few of the other days out there that sometimes get confused with Veterans Day. Frequently, you'll hear Armistice Day, Remembrance Day, Memorial Day, Armed Forces Day. All of these days sometimes either combined or confused with one another about what they're actually supposed to be about. So let's talk a little bit about them. Now, the first one I mentioned is Armistice Day. Armistice Day is commemorated every year on November the 11th, just like Veterans Day, which is why sometimes you see a confusion there. It's also what we used to call Veterans Day. The United States used to celebrate Armistice Day and change it to Veterans Day a little bit later, and we'll talk about why that is in a minute. But Armistice Day was commemorated or set in place to mark the end of the fighting in World War One between the Allies and Germany. So it was the end of the hostilities on the Western Front of World War One. And this took place at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, or November 11th at 11 o'clock in the morning. And actually what makes this year so special is that the armistice itself actually took place in 1918, which means that this year is the 100th anniversary of World War I ending. And Armistice Day as a celebration began the very next year in 1919. Now this is different than the Treaty of Versailles, which was signed the following year which was the formal peace agreement or the formal treaty, but the armistice that was signed on November 11th ended the fighting. And so this is a day that's a national holiday across many of the allied countries in France, the UK, many of the Commonwealth countries that were part of the British Empire, Poland, you know, countries like that that were part of the the allies frequently celebrate Armistice Day. Now, as I mentioned, the United States used to celebrate Armistice Day, uh, but we don't anymore. We did for, for many, many years, actually, but we have since changed it to accommodate or to turn it into Veterans Day. And so I want to talk a little bit about that in a minute, but let's move on. So the next holiday that I mentioned was Remembrance Day. So Remembrance Day, sometimes you'll hear it called Poppy Day. It's a Memorial Day that's observed in the Commonwealth of Nations. Now, the Commonwealth of Nations is an organization, kind of an intergovernmental organization of 53 countries around the world that are mostly former territories of the British Empire. So these are mostly former British colonies or territories. And so this is an organization uh, that all celebrates Remembrance Day. Now, Remembrance Day is also designed to celebrate kind of the end of the First World War, but more specifically, it's about remembering the members or the soldiers, uh, the members of the armed forces who died in the line of duty in World War One. And frequently you will see this kind of celebrated in accordance with 
Armistice Day, especially in Great Britain and some of these other countries. Uh, it's also celebrated on November the 11th, so it makes sense that the two kind of go hand in hand. And this memorial actually, in a sense, evolved out of Armistice Day. Now, I mentioned it's sometimes called Poppy Day, and that's because frequently you will see red poppies worn across Great Britain and these Commonwealth countries on this anniversary. Now, you all also see red poppies worn here in America, but on our Memorial Day, which is in May. And I'll talk about that in just a second as well. But the red poppies are kind of designed to symbolize the blood that was spilled during wartime. And so you'll frequently see red poppies used on Remembrance Day across Great Britain and many of these other Commonwealth countries. Now, in America, we have two other days I mentioned, Memorial Day and Armed Forces Day. I want to touch a little bit on each of them before we get back to Veterans Day, uh, just so we understand the differences between them. So Armed Forces Day is celebrated on the third Saturday in May. And it was specifically put into place back in uh, 1950. It was the first year it was celebrated. And it was designed to honor um, Americans who are currently serving in one of the five U.S. military branches. And that would be the Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force, and Coast Guard. Now, it was originally intended to replace the separate days that each branch had themselves. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, uh, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard. And kind of consolidate those into one holiday for all of them. But what's happened more in reality is that those separate days for each branch are still observed, especially by those individual branches. And then when they also have this Armed Forces Day, which is about kind of all of them together. And we see Armed Forces Day as, you know, celebrated with parades and receptions. You'll frequently see air shows and things like that. But it's important to remember Armed Forces Day is about those who are currently serving. These are active members in the United States uh, military, all branches. Now, Memorial Day is a holiday also in May. It's on the last Monday of May. And it is specifically about honoring or remembering those who died while serving. And so this differs from Armed Forces Day and Veterans Day, as we'll talk about in a second, because it's specifically about those who, who were killed in action, uh, who died serving in the military. Now, this is celebrated in May. And frequently, you'll see people confuse Memorial Day and Veterans Day in particular. Um, but they are very, very different holidays. But that leads us to Veterans Day and what Veterans Day stands for and what its purpose is and how, how it came about. Um, and we're going to focus really heavily here for the rest of the episode. So Veterans Day should not be confused with the others. It is a official U.S. federal holiday observed every year on November the 11th. And it's designed to honor military veterans, all of them, which means anyone who served in the United States Armed Forces. In particular, what the focus here is on living veterans. Those who died are honored on Memorial Day, but those who are still living are celebrated on Veterans Day. And Veterans Day would include technically anybody who is still actively serving too, although frequently it's about those who have retired and are former uh, military members. But Technically, a veteran is anybody who has served, even if they are still currently serving. And so it's about celebrating all of those people who are still alive but have served the country in some way militarily. Now, as I said, it's on November the 11th, which means it coincides with Armistice Day and Remembrance Day in other countries. And that's because the United States originally did celebrate Armistice Day. Armistice Day, as I said, was about celebrating the end of the hostilities at the end of World War I. And the United States was part of the Allied forces that celebrated that. And so a little bit of history here. So Veterans Day began in 1919 in the United States as Armistice Day. It actually was the exact same holiday originally, the date when Germany and the Allies signed that agreement to end the hostilities in World War I. 
And Woodrow Wilson proclaimed November the 11th as kind of the first commemoration of Armistice Day. And this happened in 1919. And he said, To us in America, the reflections of Armistice Day will be filled with solemn pride in the heroism of those who died in the country's service and with gratitude for, for the victory. That's a direct quote from his proclamation. Now, while this was a commemoration in 1919, it was about two decades later that it became a legal federal holiday. And that took place in 1938. And this was an act of Congress that was passed that turned it into a official federal holiday. But it was still considered Armistice Day for several decades. And it wasn't until the 1950s that we saw it start to change. And, and a big part of the reason that it started to change was because... There was a veteran from World War II, a man by the name of Raymond Weeks. He was from Birmingham, Alabama, and he had this idea to take Armistice Day, which was about celebrating the end of World War I, and expanding it to celebrate all veterans, not just those from World War I. So that would include World War II and any, any other veterans from any other conflict areas. And so Raymond Weeks led a pretty extensive movement that included a lot of veterans, and basically he pushed... Dwight Eisenhower, who was uh, the uh, he was actually a general at the time, and he supported the idea of kind of a National Veterans Day. But Weeks led this kind of movement to change Armistice Day into Veterans Day, and it didn't happen immediately. He actually started as kind of his own national celebration back in 1947. He started this uh, and it started in Alabama. He actually held this same thing every year from 1947 up until he died in 1985, and he held his own national celebration for all veterans. And in fact, he is frequently recognized by our governments uh, as being the father of Veterans Day. And in 1982, uh, President Ronald Reagan actually honored Raymond Weeks at the White House. He was given the Presidential Citizenship Medal as being the kind of the driving force behind Veterans Day. But still, it didn't happen immediately. As I said, he started his own celebration for it in 1947. But it wasn't until Dwight Eisenhower, who, as I mentioned, was a general earlier but became president, it wasn't until he signed this bill into law in 1954. And so this was about eight or nine years after Raymond Weeks held his first celebration honoring all veterans, it became a federal change. And on June 1st of 1954, Congress officially amended this bill, replacing the word armistice with veterans. And it's been known as Veterans Day ever since. So we've been celebrating Veterans Day instead of Armistice Day since 1954. Now, Veterans Day has not always been celebrated on November the 11th. As I mentioned, it started on the 11th. It still is today. But there was a period in the 1970s, in the early 1970s, where it was actually moved and it was celebrated in October for, I want to say like six or seven years. And this was because of something that was called the Uniform Monday Holiday Act. It was an act of Congress and they basically were trying to set some of the rules surrounding federal holidays and they wanted to establish the observance of certain holidays on Mondays. And so these holidays would include Washington's birthday, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, Columbus Day, and they basically wanted them to be held on a Monday because they thought that it would encourage people to take vacations. They thought it would encourage people to spend time with family. It would encourage people to travel and to pour money back into the economy. It was They really liked this idea of having kind of a three-day weekend because they thought it encouraged a lot of this participation and celebrations, parades, and all of these things that they thought would help kind of reinvigorate the country, reinvigorate people reinvigorate the economy. And so they established this bill to move all of these holidays to Mondays. 
And so partly because of this bill, Veterans Day was actually moved up a few weeks and took place on the fourth Monday of October. And so this happened from 1971 through about 1977. But this caused a lot of confusion among people. People weren't really sure what was what they were supposed to be doing with it. A lot of states didn't like it. People were, were actually pretty strongly against this in a lot of cases because they liked how it aligned with Armistice Day, Remembrance Day, the end of World War One. They thought there was a lot more symbolism surrounding that actual date of November the 11th. And so in 1978, it was moved back to its original date on the 11th of November. And so while the legal holiday now is celebrated on November the 11th every year, even if it's on, say, a Saturday or a Sunday, like it was this year, it was on a Sunday. Now, because it is a federal holiday, a lot of American workers and many students uh, tend to get this day off of work or out of school. And you'll often see a lot of celebrations around these weekends. You know, you'll have the federal government's closed, no mail being delivered, and you'll see things like parades and flyovers and celebrations honoring veterans. And frequently you'll have a lot of these celebrations, particularly in towns where there's a heavy military presence, but really across the country. Now, a couple other little side notes. Uh, the day before Veterans Day, November the 10th, is actually the birthday of the United States Marine Corps. So frequently you will see the two of those holidays kind of celebrated together. They're both very, obviously, military holidays. And so you will see particularly the Marine Corps itself celebrate both of those holidays as kind of a, a multi-day celebration of sorts. Now, there has actually been a push over the years, kind of on and off, to move another day, Election Day, to coincide with Veterans Day because Election Day is seen as a traditional, regular working day, and sometimes it's very difficult for people to get off work to go vote in time. And so there's been this push to move Election Day to coincide with November the 11th or to kind of combine them in some way so that people have the day off to go vote. And there has been some kind of pushback on this. People don't like the idea of combining them. They think it will kind of muddle what the meaning is. But proponents of this idea basically argue that one of the best ways that you can celebrate and honor veterans who fought and sacrificed for freedoms in this country is to go vote, to exercise your civil liberties, to exercise your right to vote, your freedom, uh, your democracy, celebrate this democratic country by going to vote. And that's frequently seen as one of the best, most important ways that you can celebrate and honor veteran sacrifices. And so they push for these two days to be merged. But this idea hasn't really gained a whole lot of traction over the years. But we do still see this argument pop up a fair amount. I actually just read an article about it a couple weeks ago where somebody was making this argument to combine those two days. So it does happen. Now, I want to take a few minutes to talk a little bit about kind of the international relations aspect of the U.S. military and the impact the veterans have had around the world. This is, after all, an international relations podcast, so I want to kind of just focus a few minutes on the political side of this. Now, when discussing national security or any sort of political power that a country has, military power is usually the best place to start when discussing this. There's a lot of other ways that you can conceive of national security or national power, economics, political, societal strength, even some sort of environmental protection or environmental security. But military power is the best place to start um, because traditionally and historically, military might was really the only way to measure power. You know, power being the ability to make another state do what you want or not do something, the ability to influence, to affect outcomes, to change behavior. And generally speaking, the United States has used military force in this capacity many times. And this doesn't necessarily mean war, 
It could mean relief efforts, rescue missions, peacekeeping, those sorts of things. But we've used this fairly frequently, and the United States leads the way in this category of military power by a fairly wide margin. And we have the strongest military in the world and the most widespread. We have more troops stationed around the world than any other country. We have troops deployed in around 150 countries in the world. There's close to 200 countries total. So we have troops stationed in three quarters of these countries. We also have military bases in around 80 countries, which is way more than any other country in the world. It's reported at least a couple years ago that only 11 other countries even have a single base in a foreign country. And when you add those 11 all together, you get to about 70 bases total. But the U.S. has something like 800 bases in 80 countries. Now, the second place is probably Russia. They have an estimated you know, 30 to 40 bases in nine countries. So that you can really see the gap between the United States and second place in this. And we have just this massive military presence around the world. And then there's some questions as to well, why do we do it? What's the benefit here? And what the impact it's really had. And a lot of the reason that we do this is because of influence right? It's really helpful to have a military presence in countries that you can um, create very quick response influence when, when things happen. Uh, it also has a symbolic effect of saying that our strength can be projected well beyond our borders. Sometimes the, the fact that we have these bases is merely about helping an ally out with training and defense, an ally that may not be as strong as we are. Sometimes it's about keeping an eye on, a, on an enemy that we have recently defeated. But this actually raises probably a more interesting question as to why do other countries let us? You know, some countries it's about money. We offer financial payoffs sometimes to some of these countries. You know, we are so wealthy that we can actually pay other nations for the privilege of having bases on their soil. And some, sometimes a lot of these countries then pay back by buying U.S. military equipment. And so the power that we can gain through that, we have a lot of these financial agreements. There's also some diplomatic reasons that a country may host a foreign military base. It improves diplomatic relations. Agreeing to a move like this can demonstrate a very friendly relationship between any two countries and strengthen the military alliance there. So you'll frequently see a lot of these smaller countries that may not be able to defend themselves properly because they're not strong enough to compete with the superpower. They ally with the United States to help strengthen any sort of military alliance there. It can also lead to you know future trade deals that may be beneficial. And it actually can help strengthen your own national defense as well. I mean, just having American soldiers on site provides stability to your area and it provides expertise for training and those sorts of things. Now, as I mentioned, some of these cases were set up after we recently defeated an enemy. We've seen this in Germany, Japan, and Italy. They were all forced, essentially, to accept some sort of permanent military base after World War II from the Americans. Now, it wasn't like they didn't want us there necessarily. They had some pro-American post-war governments that were much more welcoming to the United States than the previous government that we had just finished fighting. But we used this kind of excuse of keeping an eye on them and helping stabilize these war-torn regions as justification for putting our bases there. But all of this means that the U.S. military, the people who have served in the armed forces, have had a tremendous amount of influence around the world, uh, ensuring stability, 
peacekeeping, protection, sometimes actively fighting for freedom in other parts of the world, running rescue missions. We have military forces who ran rescue missions, saving, just for, for one example, of the Kurds in Iraq uh, from Saddam Hussein or from ISIS and some of these war-torn regions where they could not defend themselves against a larger, more powerful force. And so U.S. military veterans have been used many, many times over the years for international relations purposes. They actually, they play a very key role, probably one of the most key roles in all of international politics. And we actually have a lot of veterans here in America today as well. I was talking a minute ago about you know active military members, but here in this country, we have a lot of veterans from a lot of different wars. As of the year 2016 in the United States, we had 20.4 million US veterans. This represents somewhere in the neighborhood of seven or 8% of all American adults. So that's a lot of veterans in this country. And this includes people who fought in a lot of different wars. Uh, there are something like six to seven million American veterans who served during Vietnam era, about seven million who served during the Gulf War. We also have probably a few hundred thousand who are still alive from World War II. Now, we actually just in the last decade lost the last surviving veteran from World War I, is a man by the name of Frank Buckles. He was the last, uh, I should say, U.S. veteran in February of 2011. He died at the age of 110. Uh, the last veteran in the world actually was from the United Kingdom, a woman by the name of Florence Green, who died in 2012. But we have still a few hundred thousand from World War II that are living. And about three quarters of veterans in this country served during some sort of wartime, and then the last quarter served during peacetime. Now, we are seeing the kind of share of the U.S. population who have military experience who are veterans to be declining. And the reason for this is probably due to decreases in active duty personnel. We've seen the number of people on active duty drop uh, almost by two-thirds in the last, uh, say, 50 years or so. And so we do expect the number of veterans to continue to, to decline over the next couple decades. And this has actually coincided, too, with seeing fewer and fewer veterans in Congress and in government as well. As the share of Americans who are veterans has declined, we have seen the congressional share decline as well. In current Congress, about uh, 20 to 22 percent of representatives and senators had prior military experience. But if you go back to, say, 1975, the share of the senators who were veterans was somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 percent so it's diminished quite significantly and this is probably going to lead to a shift in some of the policies that we're seeing over the last couple decades as well from congress because they don't have military experience so their experience with foreign policy is much more diplomatic and not uh, militarily but i say all of that to just em emphasize that if you do come across a veteran today or anytime this week Anytime you're listening to this podcast, please take a minute and thank them for their service. Tell them that you'll never forget what they've done, the sacrifices that, that they've made, and just tell them how much you appreciate all that they've done for you. Because these are people who have sacrificed and given time, energy, sometimes uh, they've incurred heavy injuries to themselves, either physically or mentally. Uh, and then obviously we have many who have died in service as well. And so these are people who truly have sacrificed plenty, probably more than you or I ever will in an entire lifetime, so that you and I can have a lot of these freedoms to do things like vote and to have a democracy and to ensure a lot of the freedoms that we enjoy here today that you don't really find in a lot of places in the, in the world. And so if you have a minute and you know a veteran in your life or you, you come across a veteran as you're out in public, 
just take a minute to stop and, and say thank you. Uh, and with that, we're going to go ahead and close things out on today's episode. I hope you enjoy learning a little bit about the history of Veterans Day and kind of the meaning behind it. We'll be back on with a current event next week in international politics, so please tune in again then. Uh, if you are interested in connecting with me, you can find me on Twitter at Justin R underscore Kinney. Follow me there. You can find me on Facebook, J Robert Kinney. Follow me there as well. That's the name I write fiction novels under. And if you're interested in advertising on the podcast, please contact me. I'd be happy to talk with you more about that possibility. And if you're interested in supporting the podcast in any way, you can find my Patreon account online. But also, please hit that subscribe button. Tell your friends about this podcast. I would really appreciate that. I'm really looking to continue to grow this podcast. I enjoy doing it. I'd love to be able to continue to do so going forward. I really appreciate all of you guys for listening. And until next time here on Nutshell Politics, my name is Justin Kinney, and I'm out in three, two, one. And that's it for today on Nutshell Politics. As always, check me out on social media on Twitter at Justin R underscore Kinney. And if you're a fiction reader, you can find me on Facebook under my author name, J. Robert Kinney, and my books on Amazon. I appreciate you guys, and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.